Welcome back, everybody. My guest today is Carrie Kappel. She is the Operations and Addiction Manager for Alina Health. Carrie has done a lot of work around peer support and reducing shame for those in recovery from a substance use disorder. And that will be the focus for today's discussion. As we get started, Carrie, please give us a little bit of your background and tell us specifically about the peer support group that you're involved with and what the purpose and the goal of the peer support group is. Um, happy to. Thanks, um, Terry, for inviting me to join um, your podcast uh, to bring more attention sure. and awareness. Um, my, uh, as you said, my name is Carrie Kappel. I currently work as an addiction um, operations manager for Alina Health um, in the Twin Cities. Um, I support our, primarily our outpatient services. Um, I have previous experience um, working for Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation in their center city location, and my primary role there was um, an associate director of their healthcare professional program. So working directly with nurses, uh, providers and other healthcare professionals with substance um, use disorder issues um, that likely um, affected their ability to practice, their need for treatment, and then return to work and, and monitoring um, resources that needed or should have been in place. Um, as far as peer support, I um, currently am a coach chair of the board of directors for a nonprofit here in Minnesota, which is called Nurses Peer Support Network, um, or NPSN for short. So if I accidentally go back into acronyms, which I'm known to do, um, that's what I'm referencing. Um, Nurses Peer Support Network is a, a, a 50C3 nonprofit here in Minnesota, uh, which has a, a couple of missions. One is a mission to uh, provide peer support for nurses specifically related to substance use disorder um, and recovery, and two, to provide education uh, for organizations that employ nurses, uh, nursing students um, in uh, formal training in Minnesota, organizations that um, advocate on behalf of, of nursing, whether it be licensing or monitoring organizations, um, as well as the general population to, of individuals in Minnesota to understand uh, the prevalence of, of addiction in nurses and other healthcare providers, but uh, to understand that. So there's a couple of missions for Nurses Peer Support Network um, in, in that. Um, peer support was sorely missing prior to inception of Nurses Peer Support Network. Um, we're a relatively young organization. We've been around since 2014, um, and so a handful of years, um, but we've done a lot of hard work in Minnesota to provide peer support uh, for nurses um, with substance use disorder and, and not only around return to work, but the stigma that you referenced, Terry, in that um, healthcare professionals, nurses in general, can often feel um, an additional layer of, of shame, of professional shame uh, related to their substance use boundaries that may, they may have crossed in active addiction. Um, none of them did they ever intend to cross you know, they weren't goals that they set out for, um, but nonetheless, their disease might have, have have moved them forward. And how to come to terms with that, how to accept them themselves and process that and move forward, as well as face any um, issues they might have moving forward. 
um, in, in their career licensing. Right. Now you said professional shame. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Are we talking about the shame specifically surrounding the fact that they were working impaired or diverting medications, putting patients at risk, or does that mean something different? Like what is professional shame versus shame in general? So uh, that's a really great question. The reality is, is that healthcare professionals, uh, I think, can often feel that because of having educational background in, in medicine, that they they should have been able to protect themselves from this yeah. disease. They should okay. have known better. Um, they have uh, some under general understanding of addiction. The reality is, is that healthcare professionals, nurses, um, providers don't have any any less rates of addiction and in some realms they have higher rates of addiction because of access to substances and so understanding that level of, of professional shame professional shame related to the fact that that they may have crossed boundaries in their active addiction um, you know coming to work um, not in the best um, shape working under the influence diverting of substances um, just and then the the general areas of 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 shame regarded um, that many people with addiction have regarding the rule, the boundaries that they've violated um, with their own families or, or crossing things that they said they would never do. Mm -hmm. um, the, disease, the disease of addiction marches up right over those. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. So all the same types of shame issues that people have to address in addition to I should have known better. I am educated in this field and I should have known better. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Now, these peer support groups, what do they look like? Do they begin at the moment of entering a recovery program? Do they come into play later down the line? Um, do you have people in a peer support group that maybe the employer has no idea that they're struggling? Um, and they've decided to go themselves to get help and try to work through it quietly? What does it look like? So we may try to take that one step at a time. Um, peer support in Minnesota um, is not treatment. Um, okay. So we do not, um, we don't begin to, to um, subscribe to being that. Um, in Minnesota, we are exactly what we describe peer support. Um, so we are a separate entity from treating providers that, that actually treat the disease of addiction. Um, we're also different in Minnesota in that um, our peer supports are not wrapped into um, either monitoring or alternative discipline programs um, that many states have and or licensing, um, say with the Board of Nursing in Minnesota. In some states, uh, peer support can actually be be connected to either of those entities. And I think in Minnesota, we have a little unique uh, perspective in that we are entirely separate from both of those entities. Um, but we have really collegial relationships with both our, our monitoring agency, Health Professional Services Program of Minnesota, and the Minnesota Board of Nursing um, as well. And they're highly supportive of, of the work that we're doing. Um, what does peer support look like um, we have both in-person and virtual peer support that happens um, multiple times a month that allows individuals to either come to a meeting both either in-person or virtual um, and, and connect with other nurses 
in in that are also in recovery. Um, many of them are in monitoring programs, and so working through the requirements that the monitoring program has them um, navigating. Some of them are returning to work. Some of them um, are unemployed. Some might have restrictions on their license that prevent them from returning to work or a suspended license, for example. Uh, so it could be in all, all the reasons. Um, some some uh, are um, engaged, might still be engaged in some treatment um, or ongoing continuing care. Um, so it, it could vary. Um, we have one uh, virtual support that happens um, through a through a, a, a collaborative relationship within therooms.com and it is actually a um, virtual meeting that we started as a pilot um, we gave it a six month window and in the rooms is actually gracious to us and and joining that pilot and and helping us navigate it what we've learned with that um, platform is that we reached not only nurses in Minnesota, not only nurses nationally that were looking for connection, but we have nurses from around the world that mm -hmm. attend, um, that connect with us who are in England or in France or in Australia and are looking for peer connection and are attending mm -hmm. that meeting. And so that meeting has somewhere between 80 and 100 nurses that attend that meeting. Um, on a regular basis. Wow, so that's called In The Room? Yeah, it's through intherooms.com is the platform okay. um, that we use. Um, and then we have a, a nurses meeting on that platform um, that is listed. And then, you know, they do ask that all of the individuals that attend the meetings be nurses. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have any ability to guarantee that mm -hmm. <laughs> or guarantee that they're um, their confidentiality on that meeting because of of the platform sure. um, you know so we we support that um, folks you know navigate sharing what they're comfortable right uh, with 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 the attendees okay well with 80 to 100 people I suspect there's a lot that don't participate verbally it's it's more listening or maybe they form their own little connections uh, start there and then kind of meet their peers that they take offline perhaps and I think it's a, a probably a mixture of all of the above you know yeah. I think um, many folks may come to to see what it's all about and then as you get more comfortable potentially sharing especially if there's a topic um, right. and we have pretty skilled navigators um, we call them conveners um, because our our leaders are not really facilitators quote unquote they're not treating providers they're not therapists um, they are our trained conveners who are experienced at at leading these groups and helping engage conversation okay. uh, around um, topics of discussion around shame around returning to work around um, whatever is coming up for the individuals at large um, and I think they always come with a, a a couple of topics in their in their back pocket in case they all they hear is chirp chirp <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah well I think it's probably just the fact that a lot of it is for people to log on and to see that they're certainly not alone I mean that's a lot of people in that peer support group and that right there tells them that they're not the only ones struggling with it. So I th I'm sure that's a good beginning for them. One of the major things that we hear, um, in fact, in my own work at Alina, um, what I've heard is I I supplied our our 
resource of the Nurses Peer Support Network to one of our um, uh, coordinator staff who does uh, assessments and connections with patients coming into programs or determining what level of care they need. And when I did that, you know, she didn't think too much of it, but she actually connected with me at a, a recent um, holiday celebration that we had from staff. And she said, I can't tell you how many times I've actually used that resource um, with patients or people that have, have connected. And she said, I just went to your website and I showed part of one of the videos that's on your website page. And she said, you know, when it, it it's a, a former nurse or they've lost their license to their disease or, or and and or they're they're just seeking care at that point uh, and they connect with that. She said, I, I I've seen them actually have tears rolling down their cheek, mm -hmm. understanding that they aren't they aren't alone, they aren't the only one, yeah. and there might be people to connect with. Right, absolutely. Okay, and I want to come back to that. I'm I'm hoping you can maybe share us share give us a couple of examples, no names, of course, of how it really made a difference in somebody's recovery and in their life. I do want to ask though, you had mentioned it's not peer support. I think you had said is not required, not mandatory in your state. There are other states then I'm assuming do have mandatory peer support groups as part of the licensing board or recovery program. Is that correct? So every state has the, well, I, almost every state in Minnesota has what, what are called alternative to discipline programs, okay. um, which are basically monitoring programs that uh, um, support individuals um, with that are healthcare providers um, in returning to work and what requirements need to be in place, what protective measures are they going to be um, monitoring to make sure that the individual is following the treatment requirements, maintaining their sobriety. Um, so really for healthcare professionals, there's a higher standard. Um, in, in that returning to work, there's an issue of public safety. And so um, most states have uh, some sort of alternative to discipline program. Um, they're all run a little bit differently yeah. in each state. In Minnesota, our actual monitoring program and our boards are very are separate entities. And the monitoring agency in Minnesota actually monitors almost all licensed healthcare professionals throughout the throughout disciplines, so not specifically related to nurses. Um, most healthcare providers in Minnesota have a separate nonprofit that provides the peer support. Um, for pharmacists, we have Pharmacist Recovery Network, or PRN. Uh, I don't know if that <laughs> rings a bell there. Um, and um, for physicians, it's Physician Serving Physicians is the, is the nonprofit. For dentists, it's Dentist Concerned for Dentists. Um, and Minna, the nurses, like I said, are, were late to the game um, in really not, I don't think it, we missed seeing that we needed the support. We just didn't really have um, somebody who stood up and helped us get organized. And what we found was um, Diane Noss, who has now um, passed, but she and Marie Manthe um, were actually our key leaders in helping us get organized and build and launch the, the nonprofit of Nurses Peer Support Network, which has continued to thrive in Minnesota to support that. Um, so we, like I said, we are, we are a little bit different. I think it also allows us a little bit more autonomy. Um, mm -hmm. the, the nursing boards um, also highly really support our work. 
um, and look for ongoing reports from us on our participation, what's working well, how many how many nurses are we reaching on average in Minnesota? So we really try to keep as much data around that as possible. Okay. Second, our our monitoring program, uh, Health Professional Services Program in Minnesota, is um, regularly referring individuals to connect with the peer support because they understand the vital nature of having that peer support around um, individuals who who likely have a multitude of feelings about their disease, about monitoring, about return to work, around license restrictions or, or suspensions or so mm -hmm. on and so forth that they may need to navigate. And just having someone and some some nurses that have navigated those to help you walk that journey is, yeah. is invaluable, I, I think. Probably. Yeah. 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 Now you're a nonprofit. So are these superior peer support groups at no charge to these people? Yeah. In Minnesota, we provide them at no charge. Um, we don't we don't charge our individuals to attend. We don't take offerings or or um, we we welcome donations. Um, yeah. Our website is up. Um, we are always looking for for donors. Um, we have also partnered with the our largest um, uh, union, uh, Minnesota Nurses mm. Association (MNA) in Minnesota. We partner with uh, many of our large hospital employers across Minnesota to see the value that Nurses Peer Support Network um, provides in 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 um, service to the nurses that they may have um, working for them. We also um, regularly um, in this last fall in November, we held a, a CE event um, that talked about um, nurse suicide and how closely some of that is related to nurses who have either substance use disorder or are, are facing some type of board action. And often that can be a triggering point for um, suicide, but the, you know, the wanting to connect those dots and, you know, then um, encouraging folks to get involved, understand what we do. We're always looking for volunteers as well as um, any donations. So, okay. Yeah, no, that's great. Do your volunteers need to be part of the recovery system themselves or just healthcare professionals that have a desire to, to help? So they can be any and all. Um, most of our conveners are nurses who are in recovery themselves. Um, not all of them, but many of them are. Um, some have um, a, a fairly good understanding of the disease of addiction, um, might be um, working in an area where they have um, direct knowledge and understanding of that. Um, we have other opportunities with our organization for folks to serve on say an education committee or uh, a, a, like a peer support committee or uh, we are just forming an outreach committee. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities that even if you're not a nurse, you can, can okay. volunteer um, yeah. to, to offer your, your resources. Our board of directors is not only diverse in ethnicity, age, discipline, um, but background because we want to, um, we have a, a a board of addiction uh, addiction um, provider on on our board. We have um, we have other individuals who bring certain um, value values to that organization sure. to yeah. support 
the work we want to move forward. Yeah, and perspectives and stuff. You talk about nurse suicide. What would be your message to hospitals out there that have diversion monitoring programs? And if they're doing it right, there's going to come a time that they're going to have to confront somebody with their suspicions. So what does that look like to you in terms of a healthy confrontation? What advice would you give a hospital that needs to sit down and have that hard conversation with somebody? Certainly, I support the, the challenging conversations that need to happen, um, not only for patient safety, but for that nurse's safety and that nurse's life. Um, and I, I want to continue to raise that bar um, for looking at what kind of supports might be beneficial to have for that nurse. Um, if that nurse is in a union, she likely has a, a, a union representation um, that should be at, at that meeting with with her him or her I should, I should assume it's a nurse as a female but we know nursing is primarily female yeah. but not entirely um, they also should have um, you know is there peer support um, like nurses peer support network could if they can't be available in that room because of the confidential nature of the discussion could they at minimum give them a contact number could they reach out and say we have we have this event we have an event you know and we could use support would you be able to have somebody um here uh, on site in case someone wanted to speak to somebody you right. know well, having some additional supports for that individual um as they continue to do the work that they need to do right yeah that all makes sense i think we we get focused on the the investigation itself making sure we have all the data to have that conversation we know what questions we're going to ask but we kind of i know from my experience forget about the okay we've confronted maybe they've admitted maybe they haven't admitted but we think they you know still have a, an issue and that is a a moment where they're very vulnerable but we don't go past that it's like, okay, you know, bye, we'll let you know our decision, you know, <laughs> within 48 hours or what have you. But there's a lot more that needs to be done to really take care of them because they are very vulnerable at that point. Yeah. Okay. Can you um, share with us any things that any couple of cases maybe that stick out in your mind that you really felt the peer support group really saved a life or, I mean, they're changing lots of people's lives, I'm sure, but Anything that really sticks out for you? So the the messages that that I have seen or that my conveners have seen um, is that a, a nurse may come um, to a meeting and and they've now gotten involved with the monitoring program. They're probably in either in treatment or completing treatment or completed it, um, and so they're at varying levels of understanding of 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 their own disease, acceptance of that. They're at a varying level of of where they're at with engagement and monitoring. Um, monitoring is sets a pretty high bar um, in, in what they need to follow in order to successfully return to work, the ongoing stringent requirements around that. Um, and, and most of us understand why that needs to be in place. And for that individual with the disease of addiction who's trying to navigate following their continuing care and doing all of that and and focusing on getting well and staying well it can feel like just additional things they have to do that other people with this disease don't have to do mm -hmm. and 
helping them understand um, some of, for example, a, a nurse comes in and she's angry. She's angry about these additional requirements. You know, why do I have to do these things? Other people who I get in treatment with don't have to do these things. Um, there seems to be a double standard for, for a nurse like me. Mm-hmm. And then being able to process through why that double standard might be there and and coming to terms with it and accepting that what they see and what they're being asked to do for their monitoring really is not much different than what their treating providers are asking them to do for their care, um, maintain their sobriety, um, follow their treating recommendations, get peer support, whether it's in 12-step or Celebrate Recovery or Smart Recovery or Nurses Peer Support Network, um, but getting that peer support um, to continue to support their recovery moving forward really align well. I think the only, at least for Minnesota, I can't speak to other states specifically, one of the additional requirements in Minnesota is is some type of uh, random screening. Um, in Minnesota, I believe that they use uh, urine drug screening for the most part, and then escalate it based on any concerns with that, um, that nurses are, are required to um, uh, complete. Um, in Minnesota, and I would guess this is most standard across other states, is that when you're engaged in monitoring, anything that additionally that is required uh, to complete while you're in monitoring, the nurse has to pay for, mm-hmm. or the healthcare professional has to pay for. So the urine drug screens, um, and in in our pro, in our state, most of the times the, the the monitoring program is not asking the treatment. It would be recommended for anyone with a disease of addiction. Uh, the co-pays and out-of-pockets would be the same for anyone else. Um, but the monitoring would have the additional requirements around the urine drug screening um, that needs to be paid for and likely gets handed to the nurse to figure out how to pay for. Mm-hmm. Um, in other states, um, I do know that um, peer support that is tied with a monitoring program or a licensing board, um, they may actually have a charge for that. So you've got a, a nurse that now needs to pay for peer support as well. Um, and there may be a fee to be in the pro- into the monitoring program. So there may be an additional fee on top of that. Wow, okay. I guess everybody needs to get paid for everything they're doing, but it sure puts these people in a really tough spot because they probably don't have a job. Well, and it, um, yeah, it really depends. You know, some some individuals um, may not be working. You know, they may have taken time off to get well. Um, yeah. They may have a job that they're returning to. Maybe they have, uh, or they're returning even at a part-time status. And you're right, some people will have been terminated from their place of employment. So now they're entirely unemployed. And right. so you're asking them to figure out, and not that the burden maybe shouldn't be there, but I think we need to we as those that um, work to protect public safety also have a need and should have an understanding of what the requirements that then bounce back to the nurse or other healthcare provider with the disease of addiction. Yeah, because it's, yeah, if they're going to go through the whole program and come out on the other side in terms of reintegration in their field, they've got to do all these things. It's not an option. And if they don't, it doesn't mean that they can't come to full recovery. But if they don't, right, they probably won't be 
relicensed and and re-put back in. So it's kind of a big decision for them that they have to, it's, it's you know, just like, it's like paying rent. I mean, I have to pay my rent and I have to pay for all of these requirements that I- And I think we has, we as healthcare providers and those that that engage in public safety, we all know that there's a healthcare crisis in healthcare workers across, across the country. Um, and perhaps even if, this nurse is not able to provide direct patient care, especially working in an, a site where they have direct access to substances. Could they provide safe patient care in a in a um, application where they don't have the access and and can right. still um, be employed? And and I think those are all really tough conversations. But I do hear more wards of nursing um, monitoring programs beginning to grapple with that question because we we might be shooting ourselves in the foot basically um, with right. some of these individuals that many of these individuals nurses included that can continue to provide care safely under proper monitoring and be part of our solution and help them get well yeah get them back in faster which in some cases if they don't have access it might be a bit of a healing for them too perhaps yeah. Okay. These are great. Well, Carrie, thank you for all of your volunteer services. I'm, I'm sure you do a lot that is voluntary and all of the people that work with you and that make a, a difference for these people that do need it. And you're giving them an opportunity to get one piece of that puzzle that they don't have to pay for and makes a big difference for them, I'm sure, in your state. So thank you for your services. You're very welcome. We we it's it's a real pleasure. Um, we are entirely volunteer run. Um, we have one executive director who's a, a part time paid position, and everyone else for the organization, our committee members, our board members, um, our conveners are all volunteers, and they passionately believe in this work. Yeah. No, I think it's great. So all of you and in Minnesota or other states that have these programs and you're looking to get involved in some way, whether it's financially or time, uh, check these groups out because they sound like a, a very worthy cause. Maybe somebody should set up a scholarship fund for people that need monitoring or something and can't afford it. That would be a nice thing too. For all of you philanthropists out there that are listening. All right. Well, thank you, Carrie, for your time. I know you've had a really busy day and you're probably going from your day job and your evening job. And I really appreciate all of your time today to do this interview. Some great information for people. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you.